Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, Thank you all for coming. A couple housekeeping things to say. This, in October 26th, we're going to have a Halloween party. So that is being prepared for you all. We'll have a graphic next week, and it'll be on Instagram and all that. So um, we'd really appreciate you guys if you wanted to come to that. That's normally a fun time, costumes and all that. Um, So we have that. We're going to have, I believe, two guest speakers in October. One of them is a very, very close friend of mine who um, leads a, has led a mission organization for many years. Um, and so in October, we have a lot of things planned. Um, if you're new with us, we're in a series through Ecclesiastes. I mean, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3 today, and I've titled this sermon, series, or this sermon today, Scraps of Meaning. Um, and so we're going to split this up into three parts and just kind of go through three scraps of meaning that Solomon kind of gives us to hold on to. Um, So if you have your Bibles, that'll be in Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So we're going to stop there and kind of talk about that. And that's going to lead to our first point, which is kind of redundantly, there's a time for everything. And, you know, as I was preparing this, I was like, well, maybe I'll go through and I'll put a plus next to the ones that start with a positive one, and I'll put a negative to the ones that kind of start with a negative one. Because it was like, you know, being born is the good one and the die is the bad one. So born, plant, kill. Oh, that's not good, so that's negative. I was trying to find a pattern, you know, which... Maybe there's a thing, you know, like these are the good ones and these are the bad ones. Then I was like, Christian, that's missing the point entirely. The point isn't that some of these seasons are bad and some of these seasons are good. The point of that is that these are just seasons of our lives. That's why they're kind of in random order where it's like sometimes, now I'm not saying you go out and kill somebody who's angry to you, but I mean there are times in our lives where we just go through seasons that are different. Life's hard. There are times when life is going really well. There's times when life sucks, and that's okay, right? Life is just hard. That's just the seasons. You might be really busy right now, and you're really busy with school, or you're in work and trying to juggle three things at once, and life's really busy, and you're just like, gosh, I just wish I wasn't busy. You know, I could just go play video games or do whatever all day. And Solomon says, listen, that's okay. Sometimes life's just busy. You know, we shouldn't be seeking to leave the season that we're in because life, just like the weather, just comes in seasons, you know happy fall. Um, And so life just sometimes changes. It's just seasons. And so he goes through this whole list. You know, there's a time to do this and a time to do that. And so life, the first scrap of meaning that Solomon can find, you know, life feels meaningless intrinsically. What can we do to find meaning? He says, well, life comes in seasons. So sometimes life feels meaningless now. Maybe it won't feel like that forever. Um, Some of these things that I noticed is that um, Some of these things are weird, like a time to seek and a time to lose. 
And I always remember, I had an orange iPod Nano that I was in Canada. Do you remember an iPod Nano, those ones with the screen on? I mean, come on, that was old school. I liked Apple before it was popular. But anyway, I had this beautiful iPod Nano, which was really cool because it was touch, and you could around the buttons. And it was bright orange. And I um, lost it up in Canada. And I destroyed that hotel room because I was confident it was in that hotel room. And I looked every crevice, my whole family, I was, remember my dad was like, we just bought you that and you lost your iPod Nano. I was like, sorry, I want to find it, you know. And I'm looking for this iPod Nano, I can't find it, right? And I, we had completely torn apart the room. There was a time for me to just realize it's gone. It's not here or I'm not going to be able to find it, right? And I still think through my life about that iPod Nano because it's like, we looked and looked and looked, it just wasn't there, right? And I think when he means, let's just say for this one, a time to lose, there's a time where we, it doesn't matter what it is, we're trying to hold on to something in our lives. We're trying to find something. We're trying to keep a relationship alive. We're trying to keep, you know, a friendship alive. We're trying to not let this thing happen. And sometimes there's just a time to let it go. Sometimes there's just a time where the best thing is just to realize this is a season. It's nature. There's not too many permanent things in our life. And so Solomon says, what is a scrap of meaning? What can we grab onto? Well, there's a time for everything. He says in Ecclesiastes 7.14, and I love this because it's not encouraging either, and the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And so that's weird, you know, we're always in the day of adversity wanting to be in the day of prosperity. You know, we're always having a bad time. We're like, oh gosh, it'll be over soon, it'll be over soon. And it's just a season. Sometimes life is hard. That's okay. It's not, it's not a bad thing. We have a God who created it. God has made the one as well as the other. God has designed the hard times that we're in. He's used the hard instances in order to lead us into a way that uh, grows us spiritually so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Don't ask me what that means because I really don't know. I love this book. Um, sometimes life doesn't play according to our rules. What's a scrap of meaning we can pick up? Um, it's for everything there's a season. The second scrap of meaning that we can find is found in verses 9 through 14. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? He's done with the poetry. I've seen the business God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has, does, has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So Solomon's going through. He's like, there's a time for everything. Well, in this time, let's say, let's say my life is hard. Let's say my life is stressful. Let's say I am going through a tough season. Well, what should I do? And Solomon says, find joy. He doesn't say, and this is going to sound mean at first, but I'm going to come back and clarify it. Solomon doesn't say, for example, like, <clears throat> my job sucks. Well, you should just find a new job, you know. My girlfriend or boyfriend or my husband or wife sucks. Well, you should just find a new one. Right? Sometimes, now sometimes there's an opportunity for that, right? And don't, you know, I'm going to explain that in a minute. But sometimes the season you're in that you can't change, let's say, the season you're in which you just feel stuck in, there's ways to find joy. So I'm going to use a personal example. 
I used to work at a job, which I'm sure you guys all know about, which was an hour away, and I had to work there at 6 o'clock. So I would wake up at 4.30 every morning, which is a balmy time to wake up, and I would drive an hour to get there at, and be there at 6. It was automatically a 12-hour job, and then you would sometimes work till 10 at night, and you never knew. And the worst part for me was not knowing what time I had to come back from work. And so I would be at this job, and I'd be working, I'd be working, I'd be working, and then after, I still had to drive an hour home. I remember one time, this is going to freak some of you out, I was sitting in the bathtub, I know, horrible, sitting in the bathtub thinking, I have to be at work in six hours, because I got home at like 11 o'clock, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to be like up and at work an hour away. Sometimes life sucks, right? That was the season I was in. But Solomon says, when you're in this season, find joy. He doesn't say, let joy happen to you. He says, find joy. And so what I did is that as I was driving down, I had a friend who was uh, across the world who, as he was going to bed, it was 4.30 for me. So I would call him as I would drive down to work, right? That was a good thing. I found joy in that. I was able to talk to someone with whom I would normally wouldn't have been able to talk to. Um, I was at work, and the sunrises are always beautiful because I'd always see the sunrises, right? I could enjoy that. That was something I could enjoy. Did my job suck? Yes, right? But I was able to find joy in, in small things, right? I could listen to opera on the way back, and I loved opera, and you can actually listen to a lot of opera in like an hour, like half of it. So I can listen to the stuff I like, right? I mean, I don't listen. It was all rap, you know? No, no opera. But if it were opera, I'd be able to listen to a lot of opera on the way up, right? So and I like the breaks, and I remember reading cool quotes in the Amish newspaper and stupid stuff like that. And so even though my life sucked, even though the season in which I was in sucked, I was still able to find joy, right? And that's what Solomon says. Even when your job sucks, even when you're in situations that are hard, you're still able to find joy. Now, sometimes you do need to quit your job. Sometimes you do need to leave an unhealthy relationship. Sometimes you do need to say, you know, enough's enough. Sometimes you need to change it. You know, when I say, you know, find joy, I don't mean just sit there, you know, as you're being abused and just take it because Solomon says so. No, right? Sometimes there's a season, and sometimes I think God makes that clear to you, I need to leave this. But I am saying that when you're in a season that sucks, and you feel like you've tried everything, and you're just going to be here for a while, right? You're in, you're in a major that you're not sure you want to do. You're in a job you're not sure you want to do. You're with, you know, whatever, Find joy. That's what Solomon says. We're not going to wait until joy finds us because sometimes that doesn't happen. You sit down and you think, what can I find joy for? Solomon says in chapter 5, verses 12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So find joy, right? I remember when I would go home from that job, I felt my bed was 10 times more comfortable. Because I was working 12 hours, right? Clearly it was going to be more comfortable. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. So when you're in a hard time, right, even sleep, let's say, can be a blessing. Because that's something where your, your sleep is sweeter. And if you're working hard and you're studying hard, you need to find the joy that's available to you in your life, even at something like that. But somebody who has everything, somebody who doesn't, you know, suffer or doesn't have any struggles or anything, whatever, you know, they can't even take pleasure from the small things because they're always after the next thing. So joy can be found. We just have to look for it. And that was Solomon's second scrap of meaning, you know. We can find, you know, that maybe it's encouraging that there's a season for everything. Maybe it's encouraging that we can find joy. What else does he say? Well, there's a third one, and it's found in 16 through 22. This is one of the more esoteric passages of Ecclesiastes. If you have any questions about it, talk to me later. I don't understand all this. <clears throat> Moreover, 
I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard for the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will be after him? Okay, that's confusing. So we're going to do it from a humanistic perspective. When a dog dies, they're what? Dead. When a person dies, they're what? Dead, right? So Solomon's saying, from a humanistic perspective, right? Now we have to say this because this is the Bible. You know, this isn't just some, some stuff here. From a humanistic perspective, when I look at animals and people and, and everything, I learned about entropy today in my class. I hope I'm going to get this right. Entropy means that in a state, a system is constantly losing energy. Is that right? Okay, good. It's constantly losing energy. And so if you look at like um, people who study the universe, there's something called heat death, where because of entropy, there's stuff that stops making less and less and less, and all of a sudden there's black holes, and the black holes eventually fizzle out, and as the universe is expanding like this, everything just dies, is how, according to the current model of planetary quantum physics, is how our universe is supposed to end. What's funny about that is that's entropy, right? Everything's dying, right? Solomon says, who's to say? You know, I look at a, a dog, it's running around, now it's dead. I look at a person, they're running around, now they're dead. It doesn't make sense to me, you know? And what's funny is he says here, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth? Who does know? God, who else? We do, okay? If you're a human being in this room, in this country, in this globe, your spirit is going somewhere right after death. But Solomon is saying, from my humanistic perspective, from I'm looking at it as a human, I don't know, right? Because I'm living on earth. Solomon is not trying to advocate for the fact that there's no afterlife, right? He's trying to advocate for the fact that from our perspective, when we look at people, when we look at things, it all appears transitory. It all appears vain. You know, this is man's lot. It's van, what does he say? For all is vanity. And so what I think that we can see in this part is to recognize the vanity. And I think that's a couple slides after. And I'm going to kind of go into depth for that. Um, and you're like, Christian, we've been recognizing the vanity for three weeks. I understand. But this is a different type, and we're going to go through it. Um, so for verse 16, though, here, he, this part's easy. Solomon says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. How many of you ever had a high school teacher or a college professor or something like that who they had their favorites? And they had their favorites, and there was somebody that they were like, well, I remember one of my teachers, you know, I was a good student, and this was just my humanistic pride speaking, but I was a good student. And there was this one teacher who wanted to be friends with the basketball players, so she would give them really good grades, and I would really, I feel like, worked hard for these grades, 
and she would give me what I deserved. And I was angry because she had her favorites, right? And Solomon's looking at judges and presidents and kings and whatever else, and he's like, they had their favorites. You're supposed to be impartial. I thought justice was blind, and you have your favorites. That's not fair. But then he resolves his conflict in the next verse. He says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work, right? So we have Solomon the purest back in. There's going to be a time for them to be judged. And we know that's true biblically, that, they're, you know, that everybody will be judged for what they do. But he sees the corruption. He sees what's going on. And in verse, when it gets further along, he's like, and it, sometimes though it appears like there isn't going to be any judgment. And he goes in Ecclesiastes 8, and I think this is kind of what really sums this all together. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, this is a phenomenal verse. You should just memorize this. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. If the moment I sinned, I got struck by lightning, it would be really hard for somebody to be like, wow, I want to do that. No, right? The moment you sin, bam, dead. Oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live really righteously, right? But what does Solomon say? Oh, if there's a judgment, the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, right? God has his own timetable. He doesn't function, bam, right away. And so, what does he say? The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And you'll still even see this in our corporate world. You know, we call corporate America a dog-eat-dog world, you know? We call people, um, you know, stop, we're not animals, you know, and you hear that in tons of rhetoric throughout our culture. If you want something, you've got to grab it and take it. You know, if, you're, if somebody's going to hit you, you need to hit them twice as hard. You know, you, you have all this, like, animalian rhetoric that you have that people are saying to each other. Why? Because the way that humans act sometimes is like beasts, and that's what Solomon's seeing. He's like, this is vanity, because we act just like the animals. We, we take advantage of people and we hit them like we have no sense of moral compass. And he sees this. He's like, that's vanity. And he knows there's going to be a final judgment, but it's not happening now. It's not happening how fast he wants. And that's vanity. And so we ought to recognize the vanity. And what that means is if you're one of these people who are like, you know, I believe people are basically good and I think the world is just going to work out for me and I think that if I work hard enough that life is just going to kind of turn out well, right? That's not necessarily the way the world works. And maybe you've realized that, maybe you haven't. Sometimes life's not fair. And that, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, a guy came into the Heartful Hardware, where I work. I'm actually wearing my shirt, okay, my Heartful Hardware shirt. Guy came into the Heartful Hardware, <clears throat> and, you know, customary. How are you doing, sir? Not customary, not too well. And I had two choices to make. I could either ask him why he's not doing well, or I could be like, oh, that sucked. How can I help you, you know? And I thought, no, okay. And so he was there, and he's a, I, you know, I like him. We normally just are very normal when we talk. I said, what's the matter, sir? You know, what happened? He said, my wife left me after 17 years of marriage. And I said, oh, that's, yeah, I can understand. Well, what happened? You know, people think I'm a tool salesman. I'm like this beacon of trust. And so he's like, well, and so um, he said, well, she went on a trip and then came back from the trip and decided that she didn't love me anymore, decided she didn't care, decided she didn't want to be here. It was really hard on our kids. I said, what? 
He said, yeah, I have three kids. They won't talk to her. He's like, and I'm trying to, you know, act like I'm normal. I'm trying to go on dates. And he's like, I feel like this just cut my heart. I feel like I'm a junior high kid sitting by the bleachers. And part of me wants to go play basketball. And part of me wants to hold a girl's hand. That's what he said. And uh, it just, you know, you know that junior high type prom or people like this. And it just got me thinking and he, he went on, and he said, and I told her, and I didn't bring up God at all, because I was just listening, and I, he said, and I, he told me, I told her, you know, I would love to get marriage counseling with you. I would love for us to sit down and work through this. You know, I have this pastor, and she said, stop. She says, I don't believe in God anymore either. She says, I watched this documentary about space, and then I was convinced God doesn't exist. And he was like, I, th- I feel like that would convince you more that God exists because there's so much that we don't understand. There's so much outside. She says, no. She's like, I'm convinced God doesn't exist anymore. And we have a man here. I don't know if he's saved or not, right? But we have a man who, let's say his whole life had an idea of how the world should work. I get a wife. She loves me till death do us part. Easy. I get a family. I have good kids. Nothing bad happens. We're in it till death do us part. You know, we're a loving, happy family. And we have this entire metric for the way our world should work. And sometimes it doesn't happen like that, right? Now, I'm not saying this guy is an innocent victim and he's just sitting here like, I can't believe she's done this. You know, I don't know anything about that story. I am saying, though, that sometimes think this guy was definitely floored, right? Let's say he deserved it. Still, he was floored. Still, he didn't understand, right? And there are things that happen in our lives where we don't understand, right? And if we have this idea that life is going to, you know, conform to the way that we understand, to the way that it ought, another thing's coming, right? And Solomon says that. And so what do we do? We recognize the vanity. We don't, we're not surprised by corruption and evil and bribery because at the, the light at the end of the tunnel is someone who puts first things first. And we're going to finally go to this Ecclesiastes passage, the next one here, because um, I think this is a perfect summation to all that we've been talking about. He says in Ecclesiastes 5, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, right? If you see the vanity and the corruption and the bribery, he says, Do not be amazed at that matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is a gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. And now that verse to me was so confusing. I was like, what does that mean? Then I understood, right? If you have this power hierarchy, and the king is only concerned about his needs and his wants, right? If Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple, only cared about himself, he'd still be filthy rich, right? He doesn't care, right? But if he's committed to the foundation of his product, which got him the money that he has anyway, if he's committed to that, then the whole structure and the whole organization thrives. Why? Because the first things first in his life is making sure that that iPhone does well, which benefits our lives and his life. But if he's only committed to himself, right? Like that's what Solomon said about the king. This is the gain for the land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. Once the guy at the top is concerned for the people at the bottom, because he's not concerned about his needs anymore, he's concerned about everybody's needs, it's different. And what happens is as Christians, sometimes we think that the world is vain. We see the world that Solomon's describing. We see the world, we're like, gosh, there's oppression, there's corruption. He says in another part, and it's somewhere here, I must have forgotten it, surely oppression drives the wise into madness, he says, and a bribe corrupts the heart. And we see all this stuff going on, and we're frustrated, and we're like, you know, none of this makes sense. And so we're like, you know what? 
we're just going to find something that makes sense. And so we're going to put, you know, way too much emotional energy in a relationship. Or we're just going to find a good job. Or we're just going to find a good husband or a good wife. Or we're just going to do what we think, you know, we think we should do. And we're just going to take care of number one, right? And it's going to be a dog-eat-dog world, but I'm going to land up on top. But Solomon says, listen, when you put first things first, when you realize that you have a God in heaven who's already taken care of every single one of your needs, right? Paul says in Philippians, I'm convinced that this God of mine will supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus. And once we realize that we have a God who takes care of our needs, we can start taking care and, and focusing on others. You know, life sucks. It's hard and it's confusing and sad. But Solomon says that we have to realize that there's a time for everything, right? In the vanity, there's a time for everything, we feel sad now. We won't feel like that forever. There's a time for everything. Nothing lasts forever, right? We hold on to that hope. We also get to find joy in our lives, right? We have to find joy even when life feels like it's joyless. And we find joy, it doesn't find us. And thirdly, we recognize that there is vanity and there is corruption and there is stuff that doesn't make sense in our world. But our question as Christians stops becoming, you know, this isn't fair, why isn't it fair? And our question starts becoming, how can we make it fair for others? Because we're stopped, we stop focusing on our needs and we start focusing on other people's needs. You know, this is a gain for land in every way. You know, a king committed to cultivated fields. We stop focusing on our needs and how to supply them because life feels vain. We realize that God has already supplied every need of ours and we start focusing on others. And then we f try to also focus on how to uplift and encourage them. And then that changes the picture. Um, so we're going to be skipping around through Ecclesiastes. I hope some of that was encouraging tonight. Um, and get excited for some of the guest speakers we have. So, uh, Ethan, you can come back up.